Hey, welcome to the Learning to Lead podcast. This is Paul Doherty, your host, and today I'm joined with Daniel Grothy, a longtime friend and also an incredible leader and pastor out of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. Today we're going to talk about life, leadership, ministry, pastoral leadership. Uh, Daniel has an awesome story of what God has done through their church and what they've walked through. If you've never heard of Daniel Grothy, even as you're listening to this podcast right now, you should just go over on Twitter and follow him. Um, Daniel, what's your what's your social media? At Mr. Daniel Grothy, G-R-O-T-H-E. Yes, and he has always got great stuff to say on there. But today, Daniel, tell, tell everyone who's listening who you are and uh, kind of your story. Yeah, well, this place, Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma is the place that formed me. My parents and your parents worked together for 18 years, helping plant a church and caring for people and leading people. And so I grew up in the house of God with the Doherty's and uh, unlocking the doors and locking them when church was over and hospital visits and nursing home visits and weddings and funerals. I thought everyone was doing hospital visits twice a week as a five-year-old kid. Hmm. And so for me, uh, a heritage in the house of God, a heritage in this place, being on this campus just stirs up all these beautiful memories of learning how to be a man of God, learning how to study scripture, learning how to preach, learning how to pray, learning what mission was, learning how to lament, learning how to be the family of God. And so uh, Victory's got a long, uh, I am who I am because of Victory. Wow. Daniel, you shared with our staff today some of the stories growing up here that helped you in a lot of those ways. And I remember uh, you were kind of like an older brother to me and my older brother. Uh, You're just a year older than my older brother. Mm -hmm. And we ran together a lot, grew up in the church together a lot. But like you said, these were formative years as as kids in this church and teenagers before you moved to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about some of those moments that kind of built you into the man that you are today and how you lead. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, watching my parents uh, set up and tear down and lead these people each mm-hmm. week and lead the choir and lead the band and show up. We had revolving doors at our house and any given night we might have someone show up at 11 o'clock who was in crisis Mm. and their marriage was falling apart and they're weeping and so they run over either to your house or to my house (laughs) and so they'd come in and I'd watch my parents, you know, get them a a drink of tea and sit them down and and pray and counsel and uh, talk about the road ahead and I I remember um, my dad's uh, secretary getting hit by a drunk driver and she died the week of Thanksgiving and I remember learning what the people of God do to to weep with those that weep and we didn't blow past that moment we we sat in it and we cried and it was weeks and months and and journeying with that dad and his three kids as their lives stood back up in strength and I'll never be able to forget that moment. The church taught me how to be a part of the people of God as I tagged along with my parents in those crucial moments where we're weeping with those that weep and then rejoicing with those that rejoice, celebrating with people in the greatest moments of their lives. And that's what I love about pastoral ministry is it allows you to to work that entire continuum with people. 
And what you get to do as a pastor is is journey with someone who is in their very worst moment, but five years later, as you stay with them and as they stay with you, 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 you swing to the other end of that pendulum and you see them standing back up in strength. And I, I just wouldn't want to live a different life. I'm made for this. I love this. And, and this place is the place where I learned how to do that. I love it. You know, we look at on this podcast, we've looked at a lot of different kind of leaders. And, you know, I feel like my dad was a leader. You're a leader, Daniel. Um, there's all kinds of leaders. There's leaders that demand people to follow them. There's leaders that flaunt their titles and, and their positions of authority. And then there's the pastoral leader mm-hmm. that's following Jesus and just says, yep. you know, follow me as I follow Christ. That and, is your dad, Paul. Yeah. That is your dad. So I... I have a thousand and one memories of your dad and your mom being the last people to leave the building. Mm. They were the prayer line at the end of every service. And your dad and mom Usually would pray. my mom's line was longer exactly. than my dad. He'd be sitting over there waiting for her to be done. <laughs> He's ready for lunch and yeah. Sharon's just praying for folks. But really there was no there they weren't quick with people. Yeah. And that is a lost art today mm. of being patient, of going slow, of of genuinely hearing people and then responding in prayer. I remember, I'll never forget your dad giving away his Tahoe. Mm-hmm. That's not something he ever talked about, but I knew what happened. Yeah. He drove around this nice brown Tahoe that he had, and he saw a family in the church who was in crisis who needed the Tahoe more than he did. And he gave it to them and he started sharing a car with Ruthie your yeah. sister. And then I, it seems like these are, I watched your parents for my whole first 22 years of life, walk with the same people. And, and Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I think about who are the couples that have lived a long obedience in the same direction, Billy Joe and Sharon, as pastors in one house, have lived a long obedience in the same direction, and they stand as a testament to the rest of the the church in America of what pastoral ministry really should look like. I love it. You mentioned Eugene Peterson. He's someone that you've connected with. Tell your story. You just wrote an article on Relevant that was Mm -hmm. featured on there. Mm -hmm. Um, For you, obviously, it wasn't about people knowing about this story, but people wanted to hear it. Yeah. Eugene Peterson, for those that are listening, Tell the, tell the listeners who he is yeah. and what connected you to him. Well, what I love about Eugene Peterson is he's 85 years old, but we only learned about him 20 years ago. Wow. When he wrote a Bible, he translated the Message Bible that ended up blowing up selling 17 plus million copies. Yeah. And I say about Eugene, it only took him 65 years to become an overnight success. Wow. And Eugene pastored for 29 years at Christ Our King Presbyterian Church in Bel Air, Bel Air Maryland. Unless you live in Bel Air, you've never heard of it. Yeah. And wow. 300 to 500 people, he lived along obedience in the same direction with those people. And, and the way he translated the Bible was he would meet with his congregants and someone who's been in alcohol addiction, say. And I've heard these stories from him. And he would talk to them about the scriptures and he would say, you know, what? I think you really need Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is like your psalm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they he would read it to them and they it would just go over their head like what and he realized these people were biblically illiterate so he had studied Greek and Hebrew and taught that in seminary before he was a pastor so he what he would do is he would go translate Psalm 3 out of the Hebrew and at the next meeting with this person pass it across the table and say here's Psalm 3 in your language mm. and so they would he say take it home and pray it get it in you and 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 so that's how the message began as as a pastor he started translating the scriptures for his people and then 
other people heard about it and took it and anyway the rest is history but Eugene what I love about him is he's always talking about pastoral ministry being local and personal Mm -hmm. and in in our technologized age we have tricked ourselves into thinking that we can do pastoral ministry in a way that doesn't require require us to be local and it doesn't require us to be personal Mm -hmm. and Paul and Peter and James and Jesus, all these people who are our forebears, the ones that we want to become like, they're the ones who walked down the dusty roads with people and they sat at table with people and they they shared life with people and the world was changed because of it. Mm-hmm. And so we've been called to be that group of people who in our day uh, slow down long enough to listen to people, to know their stories, to, to, to enter into their lives and to share Jesus with them and to see it take root over 20 and 30 and 40 years. And so Eugene for me is that, that icon of faithful presence in a really fast world. Yeah, and you discovered him right after your senior pastor at New Life Church had been fired. Mm-hmm. Um, your church that you moved to after graduating from Oral Roberts University. You went to Colorado Springs, New Life Church. Ted Haggard started this great church, yeah. uh, thousands of people, and then everything changed. Apart. Yeah. And that's when you started Connect. Tell that story. Yeah. So uh, we lost our senior pastor. It was a heartbreak. Ted had recruited me. Uh, love the man. Thankful for the man. We're all reaping where he's sown at mm-hmm. New Life Church. So in these conversations, I'm always quick to remember that that there are nuances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank God for that work that he he did and has done. And at the same time, he he fell, and we lost our senior pastor, and our church was in scandal and in. Uh, heartbreak. And then we got 10 months later, Brady Boyd, our senior pastor, showed up from Gateway Church in Texas. And we were just getting to know him. Our church was in $26.5 million debt. We lost our senior pastor. We were heartbroken. And now we've got this new guy who nobody knows. And he didn't know us. It was so trying to rebuild trust. And Brady always says it this way, that you trust is earned in drops, but lost in bucketfuls. Mm. And so Brady had sort of tipped the bucket back up and was starting to gain trust drop by drop by drop. And on his 100th day in, in, in working at New Life, we had uh, Dr. Jack Hayford preaching. It was December 9, 2007. Snow on the ground. I, I, can, I can smell what that morning smelled like. J- Jack Hayford just finished preaching the second service, and we were going to go upstairs and have lunch with him. And I was standing at the end of our children's hallway, and all of a sudden I heard bop, 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 bop. And something instinctively in me knew that this isn't right. That's a, that's a gun. Oh, my goodness. And I run into Brady's office where Jack is, and, and I say, there's a shooter on campus. We kind of hide under the table. I did. And he had killed two girls in the parking lot, 18-year-old and 16-year-old sisters. And then he came in our building and a security guard stopped him, got him in the leg, and he ended up taking his own life in our children's hallway. Mm. So in a, in a course of 13 months at our church, we lost our senior pastor, discovered we were in financial crisis, uh, were heartbroken, and now we have a double murder and a suicide on our campus. What in the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are we going to make it? How, people are going to be scared to come to church. We weathered the first storm and now here this is. Uh, can can these bones live again? Yeah. And what we saw over the course of time 
was uh, where, whereas we might have expected people would run, we saw the church in this sort of holy defiance rise up and say, you know what? We're going to be the people of God. We're going to come to church in this building. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to give. We're going to have small groups. We're going to take people into our homes. You can kill us if you want, but we're going to come to church. Yeah. And we saw the church. Sometimes you only know what you have when the bottom falls out. And, and you can only see what you're made of when you're tested. And we were tested, and by the Spirit of God, uh, we, we made it. And the church is thriving today. We have six congregations, um, a dream center, and a, we bought an apartment complex and renovated that, and single moms and their kids are living there. We're 12 million dead instead of 26 and a half. Wow. And so just to see what God has done, what I've discovered is that Jesus Christ is the head of his church, and he is more interested in the church standing than we are interested in the church standing. Yeah. That's so good, Daniel. During that time, you were in a bookstore mm -hmm. and you found this book mm -hmm. called the Contemplative, the Contemplative Pastor. Pastor. Yep, yep. The, con the Contemplative yeah. Pastor. Whatever. Uh, that's when you were introduced to Eugene Peterson. Right. I found talk his, about the letter that you sent him. I found his book, ninety nine cents on the shelf at a Goodwill. It was used, and I took it home that day and devoured it. And I thought, oh my word. Why, why am I not reading about the pastoral ministry like this? I've seen it with Billy Joe and Sharon. I've seen it with my parents. But the word pastor has been sort of tacked on to a lot of different people who use it differently. And so the question for me was, what is it? What does it mean? And uh, so I wrote Eugene after reading that book, and I just said, hey, could I thank you, first of all, for this book. The secondly, could I spend a day with you just asking questions because you've awakened something in my heart about pastoral ministry? And he wrote me back two weeks later and said, yes, I would be willing to have you for a day in Montana, period, but not so fast period. Mm. And then he said, I want you to write a three-page paper on what is church and a three-page paper on what is pastor to see if we have enough common ground to begin a conversation. So Eugene was vetting me there. He, as an old man at the time, he was 76. Uh, he was testing the young 23-year-old to see if I would do the hard work. He was challenging me. Would he rise up or would I be offended by him saying, hey, you have to work for this? And so I went to reading. I went to writing. I pressed in. A month later, I sent him those two papers. He wrote me back. Thank you for your thoughtful letters. Yes, we do have common ground. Why don't you come out? And in the last nine years, I've been to his place five times for a couple days and then met him up in New York City, met him in California, met him in the mountains of Colorado for a retreat. And he, for me, has, has become an older, he's kind of a grandfatherly figure in the faith. And he is someone who I'm constantly saying, you know, what do you think Eugene might do here? I have, I have a filter. Uh, what would Billy Joe do? Mm -hmm. I really do. Wow. What would my parents do? What would Eugene do? These are the people who have helped form me and who have helped create instincts that I think are worth fighting for. Yeah. And so in, in those moments where you get pressed, uh, what, what comes out of you is what was put into you by the most formative people in your life. Yeah. And so I'm thankful to say Eugene has been a guy who's helped me try to hold the line on what pastoral ministry needs to look like in America. That's amazing. I love the whole story. And I love, like you said, the filter, because I'm the same way. I find myself every single day not a day goes by that i don't ask myself what would my dad do mm -hmm. um and man these yeah these people like you mentioned my dad my mom eugene peterson your parents these people that have walked in the same direction for a long time yeah. been faithful been obedient loved people 
yeah. haven't cared about titles, yep. but just served people. The, those are the people that we need to be learning from. And I think I'm, I'm saying this more and more to people. You need to be careful who you allow to become your heroes. That's good. That's and really good. I, because they're going to shape you and they're mm. going to form you and you need to be very discriminant about who you let speak into your life wow. and who you allow to, to, to create appetites yeah. with you. And um, not so all inputs are created equal. All people are created equal in the image of God, but not all inputs, not all instructors are created equal. Meaning there are some people who will lead you astray and there are other people who will help you be led into faithfulness. And yeah. so be very picky about who you let speak into your life. That's so good. I remember you and I have had multiple conversations over the years growing up. Um, when we used to play together, it was fun. And then as we got older, it became more serious conversations. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming out to Colorado Springs right before I finished my first year of being the pastor of Victory. Mm -hmm. And for those that listen to this podcast, I stepped in after my father passed away of cancer. Um, my mom stepped in as an interim pastor for about five years. But right before my dad passed, he shared with our board and with my mom that he saw me one day pastoring our church. Mm. And I needed to grow, still need to grow a whole lot. But the day came where my mom said, it's time, Paul, for you to step in. When I stepped in, I was 28, just turned 29, way too young, still way too young to be leading victory in the school. <laughs> Daniel's laughing here because no. it's just crazy. Like it is. Looking it is, back, you go, It wow. is crazy. Yeah. And. I just had my first kid. Now Ashley and I are pregnant with our third kid. And uh, by the way, yeah, I haven't told the podcast Woo! people. We're pregnant with our third child, and we just found out it's a boy. So Three boys. Come on. But, Daniel, I came to see you because I was really, honestly, just needing to get away and yeah. hear from God. Um, the first year of being a pastor was really just, I felt like I was just trying to stay Alive, yeah. like just swimming, yep. drowning in the water. Yeah. Someone throw me a, a life rescue, <laughs> whatever that thing is, you know. Yeah. Um, and I came and I was with you in the mountains just for a few days. But being there and praying and talking with you and reminding myself, like you said, Jesus is the head of the church. Mm -hmm. And whatever changes need to be made, whatever people leave, whatever people sure. need to leave or need to be transitioned out or whatever, the church is going to thrive because Jesus is the head of the church, That's not right. Paul. That's right. And uh, man, you so encouraged me during that time. You've encouraged mm. me a lot, but I don't know, maybe in with some last thoughts. You're, you're for those highlighting that something that is essential for every pastor and every leader is you need good friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and you need people who know something of your heritage. I don't mm. trust people who get a whole new batch of friends later in life. Mm. So God adds friends to us all along the way and he can send anyone he wants. But I'm talking about having some rootage in your history. That's so good. Having people who uh, who know you, who have tracked with you, who've watched your development, who can tell you stories and speak to you in that way that only someone can that that knows what you're made of. And Paul, I feel like I know what you're made of because we're made of some of the same stuff. We mm -hmm. grew up together. And so to cherish friendship, it, this stuff, this work that we do is is hard enough to do it alone. Yeah. It, it's hard enough to do it with people that are fighting against you or people that don't trust you. And so to have people that you're with that you go, you know what, I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. 
This person gets me. I don't have to disclaim and qualify everything I'm going to say. I can just think out loud with you. I can be raw with you. I can say it and, and then work my way toward what I actually mean later, you know. Yeah. And so to, I want to encourage you to press into friendship. I want to imp- encourage you to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people who, who can uh, challenge you but do it from a place of love. And uh, don't walk this road uh, by yourself. It's it's too hard. Jesus sent them out two by two. Yeah. He did not send them out to go be lone rangers and to just bow up and to do it on their own. He sent a, he sent us out to live in fellowship and community and in strength. And Paul, I'm thankful for your friendship, for your family's friendship. And I pray that all of our listeners will identify those people that God has for them or s- continue to seek those people that God has so that you can do ministry in the company of good friends. It's so good. And I want to have you back again to do a podcast again because I feel like we we need to do another follow-up sometime in the future on this. I'm saying this right now to those that are listening. You are one friendship away from just healing in your heart, one friendship away from changes in your life that need to happen, one friendship away from making the right decisions Mm -hmm. and avoiding the wrong decisions. Mm And Daniel has seen it up close, the, the, the sad realities of pastors and leaders that are Lone Rangers mm-hmm. and don't have friends and then those that do and what happens in their life and the health that it brings. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're staying connected with Growthy. Um, and man, I just got to say one of the most recent things that I loved that came from Daniel was the 10 checklist before preaching yeah. and getting up and delivering a sermon. <laughs> Why don't you give them just like a few of those, not all 10 of them because yeah. we don't have enough time, but give like two or three. A couple of things favorites. I've learned about preaching is that a sermon first has to be prayed into existence. Yeah, A sermon that has not been bathed in and a sermon that hasn't arisen from a place of prayer is just some good ideas. It's just some, yeah. some, yeah. you got to pray a sermon in, you've got to wrestle it through in prayer. For me, it's a week long process, if not more of, of preparing. Okay, Lord, what are you saying to the church? Because a, a sermon has to be a word in season. Not a word that I printed off an outline that worked for me six years ago, and I'm just going to get up there and do it again. That is not a sermon that's going to live with the vitality of the Spirit. Mm. It's got to be a right now word, and that can only be discerned in prayer. So that's one thing. I've, I've learned that to stay active physically helps me because my mind is always working on sermons. And so if I if I will regularly exercise, it allows my body uh, to sort of uh, tell my mind to rest and shut down. So I think you have to have that activity physical activity to keep you going. Uh, but another thing that I've learned is that if if the Spirit doesn't speak, uh, God help us. You know, mm. we're all... We're all in trouble. We've all wasted our time coming to church. So I'm constantly at the end of my sermon process. What I do at the end is I'll write something across the top of my notes like this. God is with us. These people trust me. I know them. I love them. We're going to be okay. It kind of settles that. me down. Yeah. Uh, and and the pressure is to always hit a home run, right? Oh, my goodness. Every sermon has got, did it? Was it epic? Was it, <laughs> was it, you know, it's got to be. Yeah. No, that's not how life works. Preach it, Daniel. That's not how relationship works. That's not how marriage works. Not every day with your children is an epic day. 
Not every day is Thanksgiving, okay? Not every day is Christmas. We can't handle that. So it's okay to just hit a nice single up the middle or a nice Mm. double down the line as a preacher. And in in pastoral ministry, what you're doing is just slowly moving the ball down the field with these same people. So just settle into faithfulness, trust the Lord, take the pressure off, live a life of prayer, and trust that Jesus wants to speak to them more than you want to speak to them. Come on. So when can we expect Daniel Grothy's first book? Uh, I'm working on it right now. Come on, I'm working dude. on it. Keep keep posted. And someday <laughs> in your 60s, you can write the Grothy translation. Come on, baby. Of the Bible. <laughs> Come on. Well, hey, listeners, thanks so much for uh, tuning in with us today. And uh, make sure you stay tuned for more podcasts in the future. God bless you. Bye.